0: Well, let me say what a joy it is to be back at Christ's Covenant. I've had special relationship with this church. Indeed, my wife is still a member here, although she'll be having to make uh, a change fairly soon since we're living in our old home in Moore County. But it's been a great blessing for her to be in this church. And she taught at the day school a long time, and we just have so... Many loved ones here, and we're glad it's what, what's happening in your ministry, and particularly to have Derek Wells, one of my beloved former students, as one of the pastors of this church, uh, gives me great encouragement and joy. And so I'm the more ready to uh, preach, and I especially want to preach on what the Christian ministry does, what happens through it. So I shall ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning to read in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of Of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us we are troubled on every side yet not distressed we are perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, Death worketh in us, but life in you. And so this uh, amazing passage, it's something we can see with our eyes, it's sort of a concrete image, a clay jar, is light in it, the jar is broken, the light shines out. And I believe that the great Puritan commentator, Matthew Henry, has the best idea on the background of 2 Corinthians 4 on the Christian ministry. The jar, the brokenness, and the light shining out. So, if you want to turn your Bibles, you don't have to. Judges chapter 7. Matthew Henry says, Judges 7 may lie behind Paul's imagery of the clay jars and the light coming forth. Judges chapter 7 I mean I should read from 13 to 21 I'm not going to do that for sake of time but just look in uh, verse 20 the, uh, the Lord told Gideon to get the numbers down there were too many God wouldn't get the glory they got the numbers down to 300 men and there were thousands of enemy thousands of Midianites in this valley well armed So Gideon knew through the Lord's instruction to get those 300 men on the the hills surrounding that fortified valley of a massive army. And they would go in the middle of the night and they had torches burning inside clay jars. And they also had over their shoulders Trumpets, And so when the word was given, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, they were to bash the clay jars together, and out would shine all these burning torches all the way around, 300, and it would probably seem like 3,000, and the blowing of the trumpets and the shouting, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and the enemy, the pagans were absolutely horrified routed, and helped to destroy one another. And it was precisely in the breaking of the jars that the light shined out, which gave the victory. I want you to notice then in this uh, imagery, jars, brokenness, light coming out, three contrasts, one, two, and three, there's a contrast between two things that you do not expect to be together in, in, in common sense thinking. The first contrast is this: heavenly treasure and clay jars. Heavenly treasure, uh, verse six of second Corinthians four the lighted of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is the life that Christ now is living on the throne beside his Father. The beauty and the splendor and the purity and the infinite power shining from Jesus Christ to all those who are united to him through faith and the Holy Spirit. That heavenly light, that heavenly splendor comes down and is put in what you wouldn't expect, clay jars, earthen vessels. The earthen vessels are our humanity, fallen humanity, Adamic humanity, given over to death. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, our humanity is going to be raised from the dead on the last day, that's for certain. But we still have this... Romans 7 speaks about it, sin that dwelleth in us. We still have many weaknesses, many struggles. So we're human, even when we're saved and been saved for a long time. We have many a struggle, many a difficulty, and sometimes we look far from heavenly. But it is in this humanity all those who trust in Christ, that the light from heaven has been deposited. Colossians 1:27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's amazing, isn't it? The light that Christ is the agent of creation according to John 1, was shining into the original, physical, natural creation. Then in the new creation, that light shines in. And that is the heavenly treasure in earthen jars. Then there's a second contrast here, and it's this. You wouldn't expect these two things to be together. When we die, life springs forth. Now, dying can be used in various ways in the, both Old and New Testament. Here it doesn't mean the, the final end of our physical life when the soul leaves the body, but rather it's speaking of, of figuratively dying. Experiencing no to self, experiencing hurts, experiencing brokenness in a higher cause dying in that sense Uh, verse 10 always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus and this second epistle was written by the apostle Paul and if I had time we'd go into Acts chapter 16 his second missionary journey and he's speaks about what it meant always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus perplexed troubled, persecuted and you know he was felt he was going in a certain direction the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go in that direction It said wait a while and then he got to the coast and a man from Macedonia appeared to him in a dream and he was instructed to go there and He got there and it was an unusual divine strategy. Some wonderful things were happening and at the same time some terrible things were happening. I don't take time on this, but I feel that where the Christian church is being so awfully persecuted in Syria, Iraq, and other places, sometimes China, there's going to be tremendous advancing of the gospel. It always goes together. Bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus (coughs) that his life may be manifested. So it was with Paul. He was cast into prison. (coughs) Beaten and cast into prison. He and Silas they started singing and praising the Lord at midnight and a miracle happened. The prison began shaking and the chains came loose and the jailer wanted to know how he could be saved. Amazing things were happening. Trouble bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The light, transcendent light from Jesus shining through. And so it was, you could say, Paul's dying, figuratively dying... Became a door for the risen Jesus to get through. Now that's the ministry. When there's dying, negative to self when called for, life springs forth the life of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's the life he is now living in glory after his resurrection, after his ascension. Beside his Father, from whence he's pouring out the Holy Spirit with, along with the Father. That John, the revelator, saw as saying, in Revelation 5, if I had time, we'd turn up and read it. Just the beauty of this Lord on his throne. Now, it is, it is that life that comes forth from a true Christian ministry. What is the price of the shining of that light that the world so desperately needs more than anything else? It is the breaking of the jar. So, our Christian life and ministry has constantly, day by day, to be yielded to God to be, when he wants it, bent, broken, remade. Let me read you a wonderful passage of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, about this. And I quote him. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. We shall draw nearer to God, not by trying to avoid the sufferings inherent in all loves, but by accepting them, offering them back to him, throwing away all defensive armor. If our hearts need to be broken, And if he chooses this way as the way in which they should break, so be it. And then a third contrast in this text, and I didn't read uh, the whole chapter, but you go down in light afflictions, but a moment, but things we're looking at are eternal. The third contrast is temporary trouble and eternal glory. Those two things go together. The reason Paul could bear these dying, shipwreck and shipwrecks and beatings and so forth. Reason he says in verse 16, we faint not. It's where he was looking, to the unseen, to the most real. Because it is eternal, when all these other things are gone, it will still be there. That which is seen is temporary. The things we don't see are eternal, and they are the most important. Temporary trouble, eternal glory. is a wonderful scene near the end of the life of the Scottish reformer John Knox. He was dying in Edinburgh. Some of you have been down the, the high street, the Royal Mile, uh, going down towards Holyrood Palace. On your left is the John Knox house. And he was dying there after an immense suffering and an amazing ministry as a Scottish reformer and colleague of Calvin and He was 58 years old and they say he looked at least 20 years older than he really was physically because of all he had been through. And so the elders of St. Giles, people spoke a little more openly about impending death back then, were going to call on him and wish him well, take their leave of him. Knew he couldn't last two or three days more And one elder, very godly man, went in to take leave of his much-loved pastor. And he later said, after he came out of the room, he wrote it down. He went in that room where John Knox was near the end, and he said he went in the room expecting to find a man with one foot in the grave, and he found a man with one foot in heaven. Now you can make of this what you want to. John Knox told him, I was awake a great deal last night dreaming and praying and God showed me that the Church of Scotland, the reformed faith, the true gospel would prevail in Scotland. There'd be more, more trouble, more fighting, more tragedy, but the." Church of Scotland would triumph with the reformed faith and lifting up who Jesus is. God showed me that last night and I feel like I'm almost in the heavenlies. I leave with the assurance I was given. Temporary trouble and eternal glory. There's a wonderful hymn I have found a friend, oh such a friend, all power to him is given to nerve me on my upward way and bring me safe to heaven. The eternal glories gleam afar to nerve my faint endeavor. So now to wait, to watch, to war, and then to reign forever. And then one final concluding remark the context in which I'm speaking about the brokenness of the clay jars, which means at times our humanity has to be yielded up and we have to get outside our comfort zone and be broken in different ways. Now, I want to say that's not primarily negative. That is not, the, the, the Christian life, the ministerial life, is not primarily a sad or a lugubrious, a negative atmosphere, it's the opposite. I think about Derek getting installed tonight. is this year, March, the 50th year since I was ordained and installed. Uh, it was, I was young then, but not now. I can say how much of my life has been tinged just with an atmosphere of, of joy Why is that? You say you're talking about temporary trouble, eternal glory, and we die and life springs forth and the jar has to be broken, isn't that that hard? No, it's not hard, because you're in the context of fellowship with Jesus, who is spoken of in Hebrews 12, you know, looking unto Jesus, and it goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame thereof, and he sat down at the right hand of God for the joy that was set before him. Any time that God says, you know, you're going to have a certain price to pay, you're going to have to talk to somebody that doesn't like you, certain, you know, stay up many, many hours to get something ready and visit another rest home, and so forth and so on, and, and, and you know, you feel pushed. Yet, yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured every duty that God parceled out to him. And then this, Hebrews 1.9 speaks of the interior life of Jesus. And it goes back to Psalm forty-five, which says, "Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity; therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows." I want to say to you, Christian ministers, Christian people, we are in the unction; we have the unction that the heavenly Father poured on the head of His Son Jesus and. Continues to pour on the elect, on the head of his church, is the all of gladness above thy fellows. Brokenness, yet, but in the context of looking what's on the other side of the cross, and you already have it. Say this one final thing. John Owen, the great Puritan theologian, in his Volume 6 of his works, which is about mortification of sin. And, you know, again, some people thought, isn't that hard? Well, not if you keep this in mind. John Owen teaches that it is as a resurrected personality that you're called on to keep mortifying sin. You don't say no to self so that God might say yes to you. You're already risen with him in his death and resurrection. It is as a risen one. It's one that already has the victory that you're called on to say no. This is not the way to please your flesh. Yield it up to him because you're risen with him. That is the context of Christian ministry, and may God always bless. Derek, and all the ministers of this church and this presbytery, all the Christian people, and myself included. Let's pray. Lord God, may we have a fresh unction of the oil of joy that comes from the beautiful repositories of heaven so that many may see the light of Christ breaking forth. Amen.